I'm not going to bank on there being any music this time. I did get music. My buddy Stretch did hear me last week. And he sent me four beds. And I haven't really gone through them yet, trying to decide which one I like, which one I don't. I guess there's four choices, not just two, but... I don't know, I'm still still a little torn on it. Like it's he even said, like it is even for copyrighted music, it's or non-copyrighted music, it's it's so so. <sighs> so anyway. I uh I quit watching the other games after last Thursday. So what I miss? See, I like to pause like that for the effect make you think that I didn't actually see it but if you follow me on Twitter you know I seen it welcome to the podcast either Thursday night or Friday morning how you doing it's Tyler Campbell and this is the soups on hockey podcast and really I'm probably gonna have to rename it because this is kind of turning into the soups on Oilers podcast also, I hope you caught my blog the other day, uh, the Soups on 90 Day Fiance blog. Woo! That was good stuff. That was uh, that was riveting. Um, yeah, where do I start? Jeez, tonight that was that was a good game. Uh, I have a lot of notes from it. Then I have a lot of stuff I want to get to as well after. But. And, of course, the music, the new music that I got might be playing right now. It might not be. We'll see after I edit. And, yes, I will edit a little bit this week. So, big things. Big things happening here. Soups on hockey. Uh, Yeah, wow. Different week. Different week. I still can't stand the way this team is being coached. Cannot fucking stand it. It is... Driving me insane. It drives me insane when I hear people say, Oh, it's Connor McDavid and he doesn't have anything else to work with. Like, Ryan Nugent Hopkins isn't talented. Leon Dreisaitl isn't talented. Yessi Pugliarvi isn't talented. Kyler Yamamoto isn't talented. Ryan Strom even. Like, I just... (sighs) There's offensive talent on this team. The coach doesn't realize... That it's 2018. You can't like chip and chase hockey doesn't work. It does when teams adjust to it. You know, my buddy Sean Patrick Ryan on Twitter said at the end of the first period, like they're just they're just doing it to do it. They're told to do it the entire game. Doesn't matter what the team they're playing adjusts or how they adjust to it. It's just they're just like robots that they've got to do it. It's coach wants. Can't do anything else. It's what the coach wants. It just drives me insane. Carry the fucking puck in the zone. Let them carry the fucking puck in the zone. And let them create. You can see when they get in the O zone, nobody knows where to go. Nobody knows what to do. They're not being coached. It's, he wants to win every game 2-1-3-2. What the fuck are you doing, man? It's like 2004. Oh. So uh, even though... <laughs> you. Everybody's listening to this right now thinks, wow, they just won three straight in a big game against Boston and this guy's losing his mind like this? No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not I'm not Mr. Negativity. Trust me. There's stuff I'll get going on a lot of shit tonight. 
But trust me, I am ecstatic. I will pour a little water on the fire and say they probably... I'm not sure if they deserve to win tonight or yesterday if you're listening to this. Or last night if you're listening to this on Friday. Uh, I'm not sure if they deserve to win this one. Talbot was spectacular, but that's what they need from Talbot, man. They need him to steal games. It's not like he he stole If you consider him stealing that one, it's not like he stole it against some chump team. Boston's good. Uh, I'll get to my head scratching on why Boston's so good. I can't really figure out how teams can't figure them out, but I'll get to that later. Um... Yeah, the Oilers were good. I mean, as far as Todd McClellan, the way he wants them to play, they played good. They they stuck to the system all night. Uh, the intensity was there. You know, I, I didn't feel like there were any passengers in this one, for sure. Uh, everybody was going pretty hard. Uh, <laughs> there's one guy. Yeah, one guy I actually might change that thought on. Uh, he's the guy who got the winner. He's the guy who I've got some pretty strong thoughts on here in a bit. But I three in a row is three in a row. They're over 500 uh, facing this schedule. They get Nashville coming off a of back-to-back on Saturday. So there is a golden opportunity here to go to 4-2. and two, And you only then really, in my mind, you only then have to win one of the three next week and you're through the meat grinder at 500 and you know like that's going into this this part of this get well this start of the season schedule i think coming out of october 500 is best case scenario i i do i i think i guess obviously not best case scenario i shouldn't say that man i'm off to a good start tonight it's not best case scenario but it's the realistic case scenario and if they can get through it 500 then they're likely to take off a bit i think they'd look at that and say yeah man this that's huge we're we're good we're good enough to you know to get a playoff spot in this league and i mean you see it in this league it is so much about confidence right now it is so mental with so many of these teams it's also about playing fast and not playing strictly chip and chase hockey and you know not you know coaching your team to win 2-1 these days. Whew. Oh, that pisses me off still. Cuz I I truly do believe this is a much better squad than what McClellan's system allows them to be right now. I mean, this all the big thing was this all started in Winnipeg. I mean, I don't think I don't think the Ranger game inspired the team. Yeah, they played fine, but pretty shitty Rangers team they beat. They beat them two one, and then you know you go into Winnipeg, you're down four one, and yeah, they didn't they didn't play that bad. It was a lot like the Boston game last Thursday, where they kind of deserved a better fate than four one. I'm not saying they deserved to be tied or up. But they they deserve better than what they've got to that point in the hockey game. You know, I not to toot my own horn here, but I I did call it going into that game. I I said on the blog on Monday that Winnipeg was there to be had. They 
they haven't played well. I didn't see the Vancouver game tonight. They won. Uh, you know, so, and as a Jets somewhat fan, I hope they get going. But it wasn't a huge shock to see them blow that game against the Oilers. They they didn't really deserve to beat Carolina. They barely beat L.A., and L.A.'s not really playing that good. I mean, now they've got quick back, and that game's going on right now, so I guess we'll see how they do. Yeah, like, yeah, Winnipeg's there. But I was going to get to Winnipeg later on. Hit on some stuff about this game. I should probably get out my notes because I I do have a lot of notes that I wrote before the game. Actually, I wrote Wednesday night, but yeah, I got I made a lot of notes during the game that I just want to run down. I'll try and hit quickly. I don't know if I can, but I'll try. <laughs> I really should edit these. This is pretty bad. All right, so here we go. I titled it. Oilers game podcast notes. Okay, that's the title that for some stupid fucking reason I had to give it. Slashing Colin Marchand in first doesn't always get called for McDavid. This was a theme throughout the fucking... I'm using the F-bombs too much tonight. It drove me insane. It drives me insane with the refs in this league in general. Brad Marchand, by all logic, should be a guy who has an impossible time getting a call to go his way. And instead, it's the complete opposite. Brad Marchand gets everything to go his way. Like, I put on Twitter, like, these these refs just like, oh, oh you want to make us look like a jackass, Mr. Marchand? Okay, whatever you want, Mr. Marchand. Oh, you want us to make another call, Mr. Marchand? Okay, whatever you want, Mr. Marchand. Oh, did you dive on that one, Mr. Marchand? I'm sorry, I'll make it up here later to you. I didn't realize you dove so well on that one. I'll make it up to you later, Mr. Marchand. Like, on that slash, when I first wrote that down, Larson slashed him, he was on a breakaway, got two minutes. It was a penalty. I have no problem with the call. But it just, it makes me go, man, McDavid, that's 50-50 if he ever gets that call. And Brad Marchand, who does nothing but show up the refs and act like a jackass, I love him. I don't dislike Brad Marchand, unlike most of you out there. Uh, I'd kill to have that guy on my team. But it's just mind-blowing that he gets every fucking call. That's the guy who gets every call. Ryan Kessler is another one. He gets every fucking call. Like, what the fuck is wrong with these refs? (laughs) <laughs> it's just, they're so ass backwards, man. And I hear this all the time from the old school guys. Well, you know, you need to earn, I think it was Brian Burke was talking about it on Others Now today. Well, you know, guys need to earn respect, and we all get that. Earn, earn respect? What the fuck has Brad Marchand ever done to earn respect? Yet he, yet, what the fuck? What is wrong with this picture? Meanwhile, you got Connor McDavid, second, if not first, best player in the game. Well, third, if you ask some people. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> he can't buy a call half the time. Well, he's going too fast. The thing we like about Brad is he dives to show us that an infraction happened, and he doesn't go too fast. Shut the fuck up! Make a fucking call. 
I'm not even asking you to call the game by the book. Just call it a bit more by the book. God, all this game management bullshit. It, it, it just ruins a hockey game. Like, well, we can't call that because then it would put them down five on three. Yeah, but he decapitated the player. Yeah, but uh, five on three, that's pretty, that's pretty, like, harsh. We might as well give him the death penalty because, I mean, that would be a lot better than giving him a five on three. Holy fuck, man. Like, I hated refs growing up. When I was playing, I hated them like just about anyone else does. And my favorite thing that I used to say to a ref was when a call would go our way and I would chirp back, I fucking guess so, bud. I fucking guess so. True story. That's what I often would say to refs. Oh, I must have been a treat to officiate. But man, like, like the way that the league is officiated right now is such bullshit. Like the NFL's biggest problem with officials is they call the game too much by the book. I'd rather that. Yes, that roughing the passer call is bullshit, but I'd rather my officials at least looking to get it right. Otherwise, what the fuck do you got the rule book for? And no team in the league takes advantage of that rule book and the way it's officiated like the Bruins. And I'm not saying that as a piss-off. I'm not saying that as like a pissed-off fan. I would have sounded really bad about that had the Bruins won tonight, like I was sulking. Uh, I'm not saying that as like a, a negative against them. It's actually a huge positive because they're the one organization that seems to have realized over the years that, hey, these guys don't call shit, and they actually prefer to put their whistles in their pocket rather than slow down the game, so we might as well just take as many penalties as we can and take liberties with everyone, because uh, they're not going to call everything. Like, we can make these guys look like complete jackasses, and it's just going to help us. So why the fuck wouldn't we do that? They do it better than any team in the league. I said it, I remember thinking that, in the third period of the seventh game against Toronto in 2013. And then, you know, you don't see the Bruins that often out West. But uh, that was one that really stood out to me. But last year, I remember thinking it... No, it was the year before, 2017. The Oilers actually shit-kicked them when they came to Edmonton. But the Oilers should have shit-kicked them even more violently than they did. But... I mean, nothing was called against the Bruins. I remember McDavid just walking around Chara like three or four times. Chara should have had three or four penalties in the period. He only got one. because And it was just ridiculous how much he was getting away with. And that last year, I saw the same thing with the Bruins. I saw it in the games they played against Edmonton. I saw it in the games that I would see elsewhere. And I'd see it in the games in the playoffs against the Leafs. And the only team that they quit doing that with was Tampa Bay. Because Tampa Bay, I don't know, they just, I don't know if it's because they couldn't catch Tampa enough to do it or what, but they were just lethargic against Tampa. A lot of the game that I remember watching anyway. I, I might be misremembering that to steal a line from Andy Pettit, I want to say, said that. Uh, yeah, they they do it so well, and I don't know why... Every team isn't told in the NHL, hey, hey, do as much shit as you have to out there. We'll kill the penalty. Don't worry about the penalty. We'll make sure we kill the penalty. 
just take liberties because the more you take, the less they're going to call because they don't. And it's almost like you gain this rep as like, oh, well, that's the way they play. So it's fine. Oh, we can't call that because that's that's just how Corey Perry plays the game. That's just how Brad Marchand plays the game. So we can't call that against them. You fucking imbeciles. Absolute fucking imbeciles. Man, I am dropping F-bombs tonight. And I should be dropping them in a celebratory fashion like, Fuck yeah! The Oilers won three in a row! Woo! But I'm not. Not doing that. Kind of sounding bitter. I don't mean to. But I had a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about. And I'm already 1640 into this recording. So I better get rolling. Uh, Oh, I'm rolling. But, yeah, another thing... That'll probably sound like I edited that and I just kind of, you know, my mind switches a lot. Chris Russell. Now, that was a great game from the blue line tonight. You remember they lost my buddy AHL Matt early in the game. And while he might be AHL Matt, he really, he's in fairness, he's bottom pairing Matt. And they still need six defensemen. I don't care how shitty a defenseman is playing. You need six defensemen. I didn't notice when it happened, and I I don't have proof of this as I'm saying this, but I'm pretty sure McClellan sat Bouchard and went 4-D at some point in the third. Well, I'm positive he did it at some point. I'm just not sure how early. You notice late in the game, the D was gassed. They were so lucky to get to OT. Like they were, and by the way, that scramble, um, oh, who was, was it Heinen in front there? Boston, I can't believe the puck stayed out. There was that one, and then the one at the end of the first there where uh, Marchand never scored and Pasternak never scored and Moore never scored. That uh, Those two instances right there blew my mind how the puck didn't go in the net. But so, But I wanted to say it's not fair. That I'm gonna criticize this guy tonight because you know strong effort, but I just I'm, I watch Chris Russell, and the thing that gets me is if you were actually scouting this guy in Calgary and then in Dallas, like I completely understand why teams didn't want to sign him in the 2016 off season, and what like. What really blows it, you don't have to be anti-analytics to not like his game. He can't move the puck. And it blows my mind how that guy is not at least Tory Krug. You know, obviously Krug's fresh in my mind after he didn't play tonight but i mean he's that he's that kind of stature he he was that kind he was that guy in junior he was fabulous in junior medicine hat that guy was awesome. And it's admirable the way he plays. I understand why fans will always go to bat for him. He plays all balls. He's Steve Steos of this generation. He is all balls. He has... It's weird because he had talent at one time. But he has very little talent these days. But he's just all balls. He's, he's Pound for pound, he might be the toughest player in the league. Obviously, I'm not talking about from a fighting standpoint, but just sheer balls and and the pain he's able to play with, he might be the toughest player in the league. I, he can't make a pass. Like and and it's that's not mind blowing if 
He was just an average run-of-the-mill junior player. This guy was elite in junior. Elite offensively. And now, like, where in the fuck did that ever go? Like, there's not even... other. Like, maybe his skating is about it that's left from it. Like, I, I just don't know where the hell that went with his game. Like, it's just like, as soon as he decided to be a goaltender, he's like, well, like, the skill part's gone. I'll just forget about the skill part, and I'll play net. Oh, don't you want some pads, Chris? Nah, they're going to downsize the gear one of these years anyway. I might as well just go shin pads. No mask. It's all good. I, just, I, just, I don't get it. I don't get it. He, I swear he hurts his teammates out there because he always gives up the blue line and always tries to block shots and doesn't really try and get the puck back and and then he can't make a pass. Like, it has to be such... Like, it, it's... You know, I used to always go off his analytics because you can't watch every game. I mean, I'd watch the Flames play, sure, and I'd and I'd watch you know a little bit of Dallas and stuff. But like, you don't. So you go more so off anal- what the analytics said than anything else. And I always knew like, well, block shots. That's a fucked stat because it really means you don't have the puck. So while the media was you know drooling all over that stat, it really wasn't a good sign. And but now I just I just don't get I just I just don't get how you could have scouted this guy and said yeah no he's worth three point one like even even in twenty seventeen I don't know what other fan was sitting there and going oh he's a number four like he survived he was worth a one year gamble and I, you know, I didn't I didn't dislike him I still don't dislike him as a bottom pairing guy yeah okay he's fine. But who, like, who the fuck wants to give a bottom-pairing guy $4 million a year? And, like, Shirelli just falls in love with these guys who are all balls. Like, I, I get loving that style of hockey. I really do. I'm a kid who really wasn't around for the glory days. I mean, right at the tail end, I remember watching. More so post-Gretzky. Uh, but I mean, I, my team was Dougie Waite, Ryan Smith, Jason Smith, Ethan Morrow. That was my team. Those were my Oilers. The Cujo, the 97 to 06 Oilers. Those were my teams. And those teams were all, especially the Ron Lowe teams, were all balls. So I appreciate that hockey. Do not get me wrong. But you need to move the puck in today's game, and he cannot. And they're paying him four million to not do that. Oh, I see on my Twitter feed that the Oilers Live podcast is going right now. I guess I'm not invited to be on the show tonight. Thank you very much. Just kidding. Those guys are great. Those guys have been really good to me. I don't know why they follow me on Twitter, but they do, and it's much appreciated. You never guess that I'm in a good mood tonight. You never guess that. By the way, if it's if the sound's a little off tonight, sorry about that. That's that's me going more speakerphone style. Apparently you're supposed to hold the phone up and talk like you're actually on it. Uh yeah, we'll see how this goes. If you hate it, screw you. You're the worst. 
And if you like it, thanks for listening. Uh, another thing I had... Ooh, I can skip that big paragraph about the Bruins because I got into it with the Brad Marchand thing. Uh, oh, there is one more thing I wanted to touch on with them, though. But first, Evan Bouchard. Before he stops seeing the ice, I, I know he's 18 and we try to shelter him. Is he 18 still? He might have turned 19, actually. Just He's about to if he hasn't. Um, it's on the 20th, so that's Saturday, I want to say. Anyway... You could see his confidence skyrocketing during that game, which makes it even more baffling as to why. And I'm not positive that McClellan did that. I just, I got the feeling that he did, or it it seemed like he did. I didn't notice Bouchard out there the last five minutes, maybe even 10 minutes or so. Yeah, the 20th. Yeah, so he's about to turn 19. So I guess, I guess on Saturday, Todd can finally start playing him in some tougher minutes. He can stop sheltering him. Because then he's 19. So 19-year-olds, wow, yeah. You're a 19-year-old and you're a first-round pick? Shit, get out there, son. No sheltering you now. Oh, you're still 18? Oh, I'm sorry. Get your ass on the bench. I don't care how good your game's been tonight. You're an 18-year-old first-round pick. You can't do anything. You need to develop. Get back to London. Isn't that how it goes? Isn't that the rule? (sighs) I swear they lost. He just looked great. There was a couple of plays, second period, back-to-back shifts, I think, even, in the second period, where it looked like Boston was about to get, could have got a 2-on-0 against him. I'm not sure who was pressuring him with the puck just outside the line. Puck was kind of in his feet, and he just made this slick, little, cool, composed play with the puck. And I texted one of my buddies. I said, like, that's that's what you see an Alex Petrangelo, a Drew Doughty, a, you know, a top-end defenseman. That's what you see them do. Roman Yossi would do that. That kid's 18. And it's just like, meh. Meh, I got it. No problem. But Evan, they're about to go on a 2 on him. Yeah, no problem. I got it. It's all good. <laughs> it was it was great. And he started firing it more. Like You could see his confidence just went up and up and up. But better get him out of there and put Benning back in. I hope Benning's okay. I don't wish for injuries on anyone, but Benning also shouldn't be playing. And I got to admit, I hope this is a chance for Bouchard, for Bear to come up and get in a game. Like, I I swear, I, I know I've said this now like 14 times on three different formats or something along those lines, but I just swear that second pairing would be a lot better if Ethan Bear were on it. And it's not to say that Ethan Bear is a number four. He is not, and I'm not sure if he ever will be a number four. I'm not sure Ethan Bear can be anything more than, don't get the comparison too twisted here because this guy could skate pretty good, but I don't know if Ethan Bear is more than a Dennis Weidman who kind of kept trying to get forced into that number four role and he was never a number four he was a number five guy and there is a there is a mountain of difference between a four and a five a like it is ridiculous that the gap is as big as it is between a four and a five because you wouldn't think so but it is but again just to finish that thought which i finished a million times but for new listeners and whatnot bear can do what Benning can do defensively, and he can move the puck. He's no worse of a skater. 
well, he's better. He might be straight ahead. He's probably a little slower, but on his edges and whatnot, he's he's a better skater, as good of a skater as Benning. And then Bear can move it. And then the biggest thing is on the power play, you don't have to have Oscar Clefbaum trying to, oh, jeez, do whatever Clefbaum is trying to do on that power play. Bear actually knows how to get creative out there. And he's a right-handed shot, and it's a heavy shot, and... Bear should be... Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, I've said it a million times already. Uh, there was more here. Uh, Bouchard. Oh, the one thing with the Bruins is, I was going to say, it, that team is so head-scratching for me because they don't look tough to play. Like, I know that top line just eats up opponents. I know they do. But... To me, it just, I, I don't know, I kind of wonder if they haven't figured out how to pick apart a zone defense, and all you simply have to do is tell your guys, hey, when that line's on the ice, you play man-to-man. I mean, is playing man-to-man D that tough? I don't like man-to-man D, but it just looks like that's what they do, and that's how they're able to find guys so open. The other thing nobody does with them is nobody bullies them. Why is this Bruins team one of the shortest in the league? They've got two guys who are anything intimidating, and, you know, Chara definitely is. Bacchus is a total chicken shit. He is an, like, oh, man. By the way, did anybody get the reference on Twitter I made last night? Last night, tonight, whatever, whenever you're listening to this. Anybody get that? Like, I tweeted it, and I thought, that is gold, man. But nobody liked it, so you think, man, maybe people think I'm just a jackass. But when Brent Seabrook laid him out in the playoffs in 2014, and Duncan Keith is heard chirping him, going, wakey, wakey, Bacchus, wakey, wakey. That's one of my favorite things of all time. I don't care that the guy had a massive concussion. Guess what? He's earned it. That guy has taken so many liberties on so many smaller, so many guys who are so much smaller than him over the years. Good. You got crushed. Good. Good. Karma, bitch. Someone could, if I was a somebody, someone could easily take that that clip of me just now saying, I don't care that he got concussed. Obviously, <laughs> I don't want to see a guy get a concussion. But I think you know what I mean. Like, it's karma. That guy's had it coming for years. He had it coming for years when Brent Seabrook got him. And, he, and if... I think he was fine tonight, but he had it coming when Benning got him tonight. I'm sorry, the guy plays like a jackass. And for the record, everything I've heard on David Backus away from the rink is nothing but incredible. The guy sounds awesome. Just like a deadly human being. I remember Ken Hitchcock was once quoted as saying, he's a coach's dream. Like that guy, there is a lot of good with that dude. But the way he plays on the ice and the way he is such a chicken shit, I'm sorry, karma. Karma. I, I kind of wish he would have went out tonight, but then he would have had a concussion, so I would have felt bad about it. We don't want to see guys get concussions. We just want to see guys get fucking drilled when they deserve it. That's what it's about. I want to see them embarrassed. Not exactly. Anyway, I go on this all night. I got an hour. I could add to it, but who wants to sit here for an hour and listen to this shit? Uh, 
I, I just I don't get why teams don't run the Bruins show. And then the Bruins run everybody else's show. This team isn't physically intimidating. Fuck. Run them. Brad Marchand, run him. But it's just like the respect that the refs give him. Like, well, well, he might he might do something dirty back. Oh, okay. Cut the head off the fucking snake. I heard Kelly Buckberger say that about Theron Fleury once. It wasn't an NHL game. But he told the coach to do that. Cut the head off the snake. That's what you do with Boston. You cut the head off their snake. Their snake is Brad Marchand. And as I just explained, if you decapitate a player when it's a five-on-four, it's all good in the ref's eyes. You, they, they can't bring themselves to put you on a five-on-three. Or if you do it, don't worry, they'll even it up later in the game. That's always weird how that one happens, hey? It's always weird how in a hockey game, one team gets a five-on-three, and then magically another team will, or the other team will later in the game. Just magically. Just just a total coincidence. Everything in hockey evens out. Just total coincidence. Oh, oh, there's one. I'm happy. You wouldn't know it, but I am. <sighs> Pulley RV. Um, shitty game. What I thought, shitty game. He actually wasn't one of the ones. I mean, the effort was there. Don't get me wrong. He he brought it tonight as far as effort goes. Shitty game. He had the turnover in the first that was pretty bad. I think McClellan sat him for a shift after. And then I think the reason he got back out was because Yamamoto had just been on the PK and the dry side of line was up. And I think that's how he ended up getting back on the ice after that one. But And then the two on well what was shaping up to be a two on one in the third and he let that wrist shot go from well out oh kid like take it to the net you are six three six four you, you i don't know what he's weighing in at these days i guess 210 to 220 in that range uh, you can you've got wheels you had all your speed going already you were up to full like Kid, take it to the net. Make something happen. And he lets this soft wrister go from well beyond the circles. Like, what are you doing, Jesse? Yes, he, sorry. What are you doing? Take that puck to the net, kid. And he's, I'm his biggest fan. He's going to get it. He's going to figure it out. But, I mean, that was brutal. That was brutal. Uh, but, you know, those two plays, I can't help but bring myself back to McClellan with him. And I'm, I swear I'm not trying to pin everything on Todd McClellan these days. Everything that goes wrong is McClellan's fault. Everything that goes right is McDavid's. Like, I swear I'm not trying to do that. But I kind of wonder, right? So with Pulley but I just wonder, like, if that guy's just gripping his stick way too much because he just feels like, well, it, it, the minute I do anything that Todd doesn't want me to do, it, I, you know, he's going to pull me off the line. So when he gained the zone tonight and just let that soft wrist shot go, maybe he was just trying to dump it in. Maybe he just got it in his head, oh, shit, I didn't dump it in like Todd wanted me to. I better throw it in the corner now. Like McClellan has to let him grow, has to let him play. I said to some buddies tonight, it reminds me a lot of McTavish versus Shrimp 
And it reminds me a lot, maybe this is a better example, of Akins versus Yakupov. Now, I wasn't a Yakupov guy pretty much from draft day. I mean, I liked the kid. I pulled hard for the kid. But just, I, I never liked his skating and how it took him 8 billion steps to get up to full speed. I, I didn't ever think that he was too smart of a player. Uh, you know, like he, I heard all about this great shot he had, but he never knew how to find dead ice to get it off. Yeah, you know, I was the day of that draft. I remember the rumor all day was they were taking Ryan Murray, and I was for it. And I know Ryan Murray's not much of a defenseman right now, but Ryan Murray's had more value than Nail Yakupov has pretty much from the day that pick was made. I just anyway, but I do wonder if Yak would have been the bust that he was while. Dallas Akins was just trying to coach him something to something that he couldn't be. And then you got Todd McClellan. Did McClellan help that? Like McClellan probably with the way he coaches, you know, he had Todd Nelson, he took off and then all of a sudden he's back under Todd McClellan and he can't get it going again. Excuse me. Can't get it going again. And then he gets Ken Hitchcock, same type of coach. Like I just, you know, but then he had Jared Bednar last year, although he didn't have, that Avs team didn't have anything on the second, third, or fourth line. But, you know, how much did that hurt him, though, is what I'm trying to say, right? Like, how much did that hurt him? It probably hurt him a lot in his development. I'm not saying Yak would be a superstar right now, but I am saying he might be something if he wasn't coached that way. And I worry that McClellan might be doing that same thing to Pulley I don't know if Pulley has got the head to become what he should be. I mean, if he had the head to become what he should be, I mean, he'd be one of the best players in the game. I don't think there's any debating that. And that's why I always kind of say, eh, hold off on Pulley let him develop, because still being a winger... He's still got the physical gifts to be a 50, 60, even 70-point guy, even if he doesn't fulfill his promise. Yeah, And I don't think he's... I don't know. I, I was going to say, I don't think he's dumb. I don't think he's as dumb as maybe some people think he... Because, I mean, let's be honest, you know, not to... Not to be offensive to the kid at all, but I mean, he does just kind of have a dopey look on his face a lot of the time. Like, I love it, and I think he's an awesome character, but you know, I can see how people would take that as to, oh, well, he's really stupid. Yeah, I don't think he's really stupid. I think he's a bit of a free spirit. You know, if that, you know, if that were the case that, you know, all that guy just looks stupid, then Glenn Anderson would have never been a good player. I think yes, he just needs the right. Uh, he needs he needs the right coach, and I don't think McClellan's it. As I've endlessly drilled into your heads by now, <laughs> that I do not think Todd McClellan is a very good coach for this hockey team. <sighs> Todd McClellan needs to go find a terrific defensive hockey team, who <laughs> he then doesn't have to worry about trying to make into something they're not. <sighs> it's just. You watch the way the games are played right now, and his 
style that he wants them to play is so prehistoric. Like, Elliot Friedman... I really didn't mean to get going on this again, but I am. Elliot Friedman had it in... Was it... Not this week's 31 Thoughts, but last week's, about a scout telling him, or maybe an executive, talking about the Jersey-San Jose game, and how... Like, I can't remember what the exact quote was, but basically how you can't defend anymore. Like the, you, it's, you can defend, obviously, but you can't defend to where you can completely shut a team down, and that's what McClellan seems to want. So like a team like Boston, you know, you can... I think that's why you see so many one-line teams having success right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm just... I'm. I'm just listing off what's coming to my head at the very moment. But, I mean, is that why? Is that why you see Boston, Colorado, St. Louis for half the season last year? You know, is that why you see these teams having sustained success in part anyway? Is because, you know, Taylor Hall was the Jersey Devils offense last year. You know, they didn't really have any. Paul Mary was hurt, so he didn't have the eye-popping numbers that he probably could have had he stayed healthy. We're seeing that this year so far. Uh, you know, L.A., same thing. Kopitar carried their offense. I just wonder if it's like you can't really stop anyone in today's NHL. So you got to outscore them. And who's the best team in the league? They weren't tonight, but Toronto. And, you know, Toronto, all they do is outscore teams. By the way... By the way, the Leafs, who we had the cup parade planned for, and don't get me wrong, I love them, and I want to see them do good, and I'm happy they're doing good. But the way the media covers them drives me nuts. So I got to take these shots while I can. And it's nothing against my buddies who are Leafs fans. You know, JT, Chris, my brother-in-law, like Lowry, you know, a lot of you guys, like a lot of buddies that are Leafs fans. There's nothing against your team, and I think all you guys know it because I talked to you about it. But, man... <laughs> like they're one and one against teams who won a playoff game last year one and one and the game they won they had to come back late to win well not too late but the third period to win so they're one and one like that's against you know yeah la made the playoffs they didn't win a playoff game and by the way i'm a pacific division homer it's the worst division in hockey. Which brings me back to the Oilers. And where are my notes? There are my notes. This team right now, despite what the coach does, like, is it despite or to spite? Despite. Whatever. You know what I mean. In spite of how McClellan coaches them, they have a playoff team, and I, you know, it's not just McDavid right now. Yeah, it's just McDavid. I think Drysital is sulking. He's not psyching, but I think he's sulking. I really do. You hear so many rumors right now about him wanting to be on McDavid's line. And how that's, like, above all else, that's all he wants is to be on his line. So while I feel like Nuge and McDavid work better together, I wonder if to save this team, 
and I hate that it would be a squeaky wheel getting the grease situation. I wonder if they're not going to have to move Nuge back to center on the second line and Dreisaitl on the top line. And you know who I think might be the best guy to put him with? Is 98. And put them three together, and 98 just has to keep it simple and score. Just throwing it out there. Because... Another one of 98's problems right now is yes, he is he looks afraid to take over. He look he tries to defer to his centerman too often. One thing I noticed with Drysidel, Yamamoto did that playing with Drysidel too. Yamamoto or Pulleyarvi, if they do play with Drysidel, you you need to drive. You need to be the driver of that line, blue line to blue line. You need to be the one who gains the zone. Once the puck gets in, once you're in clean, then Dreisaitl can take over. But Dreisaitl isn't good creating off the rush. I've found, anyway. Not without Connor. He needs somebody. And it's weird, Yamamoto should be the perfect fit for him then. Because that's that's what Yamamoto might do as, well, best of any winger on the team, that's for sure. But Pugliarvi used to do it pretty well too, or did it pretty well in junior, the world juniors, and in Finland. Yeah, I I wonder, man, I wonder if Leon's got to go to Connor's wing and you got to find someone else to put up in Raddy's place. I think Raddy's decent enough to play on the third line. I really do. I, I, I know he hasn't got off to the scorching hot start. Everybody thought he would in camp. But I, th- Ty Ratty, watch him play, man. He's an NHL player. He is. This is a good player who got stuck in the minors, got stuck in the wrong scenarios. You know, everybody talks about St. Louis. When he was with Carolina, man, look at their winger situation. Carolina's problem hasn't been on the wings. It's been down the middle. So, you know, and the other thing, too, is Ratty's numbers kind of declined in the AHL. Yeah, that... Think about it. You're not getting your shot in the NHL when you know you're good enough to be up there. That's eh, got to be pretty demoralizing. Not easy to, not easy to keep it going when that's going on. Damn it! Forty six minutes, and this is called soups on hockey, and all I'm talking about is the Oilers. I might end up doing two podcasts here. I'm not gonna lie, not tonight, but I might end up doing two a week now and just do one on the Oilers and maybe post game on the Oilers and then. One on everything else, because I mean, I wanted to get to a lot of shit tonight, but I'll try to right now. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about the others, but you know, good signs. I I feel like they've got a lot of confidence coming off that Winnipeg comeback, and they're gonna have even more getting squeaking out the win against Boston. Uh, they played okay, you know. Talbot was really the story, and. You know, hey, again, you beat Winnipeg, you beat Boston. You know, those are two wins that I'm not sure anybody thought they'd have at this point. So, you know, everybody was so scared about this six-game stretch that they had coming up. So far, they're 2-0. Let's not get too happy. They were both in OT. You know, they, you know, when you win, three, win a game playing three-on-three three hockey with Connor McDavid in your lineup, that's not the same as a normal win. Like pump, 
pump the brakes if you're flying that high about beating two cup contenders. Just remember, Winnipeg wasn't playing that good, and they got him in OT. Boston probably got the better of the play tonight, definitely got the better of the scoring chances, and the Oilers needed to beat them in OT. So pump the brakes, but it's good. It's And it's big for their confidence, right? Their confidence last year was completely shattered. It's going up, and... You know, hey, it, you don't like to see a guy get hurt, but if Matt Benning's out and this opens the door for Ethan Bear, ooh, that that could be a blessing in disguise. Uh, I hope Benning's okay, and I mean, he's a useful guy. He just shouldn't be their number four guy. Okay, this is what I wanted to get to. The Habs look great. The Habs look great. Now that win against St. Louis, that was a little bit of a lucky win with what Colton Pareko did at the end. By the way, anybody notice with Colton Pareko that he hasn't developed? Is 2016 Colton Pareko one of the best rookies in the league? You got idiots like Josh Cooper going on Twitter. Oh, he reminds me of Shea Weber. And then the Blues beat guy, I can't remember if it was Strickland or Rutherford, going, oh, this guy used to cover Shea Weber. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, Colton Pareko's numbers aren't good. Like, they're not They're not any better anyway. Like, he's okay. You have to watch. He's not another Dion Phaneuf. Like, these guys, and you see so many guys. Me and me and Ryan were SPR. That is, were on Twitter tonight. He made mention about Truba, and I said, "Yeah, I couldn't agree more." I was saying that about Truba when guys wanted to trade Nurse from straight up. And I was a huge Darnell Nurse homer, but I was saying that all along. Like Truba is not the guy everybody thinks he is, because he doesn't have the head. That's always been when a guy. When a guy's knock is that he doesn't have the smarts in his draft year, he's probably never going to get the smarts. Now, don't confuse that with hockey smarts. That's a favorite one of scouts, too. I disagree with hockey smarts, quote-unquote, because some guys are just so physically gifted that it takes them a while to start learning to think the game. But they will. Once they start figuring out that they have to at the pro level, they do. Look at Darnell Nurse. The nurse knock all these years. Yeah, doesn't have the hockey smarts. When has he ever had to think the fucking game? When? The guy's 6'5", 220, physically bigger than everybody his entire life, and can fly. When would he have had to ever think the game? But guess what? Darnell Nurse, OHL Scholastic Player of the Year in his draft year, super intelligent guy he's figuring it out and he's still growing and it's scary what Darnell Nurse could be Truba is probably not going to be any better and I don't think Pareko is either but I'm getting really sidetracked and now I'm down to what 50 yeah 51 minutes I get nine minutes okay so I could extend it but I'm not going to I'm lazy I don't want to edit Habs look good Sens look good, which, pat on the back, I kind of called. I do think they'll compete all season long. Wouldn't be surprised to see them as high as fifth in the division. They won't get in the playoffs, I don't think. I don't think they can have that Cinderella of season, but they're playing with house money all season, and Guy Boucher's got the easiest coaching job in the league right now. 
But here's the thing. The Habs are playing good. The Oilers are playing good. The Jets won tonight. They're back to looking a little bit better. The Canucks, despite the loss in Winnipeg, are playing really well. The Flames look like they're playing pretty good. At least the Boston game. That was definitely their best performance of the season. The Leafs are the Leafs. Um, so we got seven Canadian teams playing good. 2013, we had... Four Canadian teams made the playoffs. The Oilers in that stretch were the best they'd been under Ralph Kruger that season. You know, they were in the playoff hunt till start of April and then completely collapsed. And the Jets just barely missed the playoffs that year. So that was that was a pretty good year. Who am I forgetting on that list? Oh, the Flames. Yeah, that was the year the Flames rebuilt. Yeah, that was Oginla and Bo Meester both going to the trade deadline. Uh, but yeah, 2013, pretty good year for Canadian teams. 2014, Habs make it. Everyone else is terrible. 2015, the Oilers and Leafs don't make it and are in the McDavid hunt. I think they finished 28th and 27th, respectively. But, you know, five of seven teams make the playoffs in 2015. 2016, none of them get in. 2017, five of seven again. And the Canucks miss, and the Jets miss. Last year, only the Jets and Leafs make it. Pretty miserable year for a lot of a lot of Canadian teams. Oilers, Flames, Habs, Sands all had massive expectations and fell flat on their face. Here we go again. Here we go again. Like it, this is clearly a pattern right now with Canadian hockey teams. They're down. They're up. They're down. They're up. The expectations come, they can't handle them for the most part. The expectations go away, oh, things are easy. It is so mental. It is so mental. You're not having team, you're not having these GMs overturn their rosters every year, new coaches coming in, having great systems, none of that. It's so mental with them. Something to watch for. I don't know. It's early. And it'll be early as far as booking any of these teams to make the playoffs until February. Well, not Toronto or Winnipeg, but the ones that are surprising, or in the Oilers' case, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself by any means. Um, the one other thing I wanted to look at before I go, I'm not going to have enough time. It's 54 minutes and counting already. I really wanted to get to Canada's World Junior roster. I kind of started to take a look, an early look here this week at what it might be. All I was going to say is that, you know, it looks good other than the D. It looks really, they're really deep up front, especially if they're going to get back Robert Thomas. You know, if you're more of a Team Canada fan than an Oilers fan, you really want them to send Evan Bouchard back. Because that blue line is, you could go heavy on talent. You could do that. I mean, last year's draft produced a lot of it, but it wouldn't be 19-year-old talent. Like I don't watch the queue close enough to know how Pierre-Olivier Joseph is, is developing. Um, so, I don't know. Someone who does could let me know. I know his stats aren't eye-popping, but, I mean, other than that, I can't really speak to how good he's been since he was drafted, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, that blue line just doesn't, you know, you know, I, I could see a kid like Marcus Phillips making it, Josh Brook. Josh Brook's having a really good year so far. 
you know, 19-year-old guys that you know the Team Canada brass will be drooling over. They always are. You know, a lot of 19-year-olds up front, though. I think I counted. I did the roster. No, this might have included DiPietro and Scott as my goaltenders. But I think I had 15 of the skaters being 19-year-olds. And then Lafreniere, that's... That's kind of going to be the big question mark in camp. I assume he makes it. I mean, he missed. he's missing the 19 draft by a month. Like, he should be on the team, if you ask me. He's killing it in the queue right now. That's And who doesn't want to see him? Right? Who doesn't want to see him? But yeah, so that's if, if you're into the world juniors, as most of us are, that's what you got to keep an eye on with this year's Team Canada. I haven't really got into what the U.S. will have, although we know who their first-line center is going to be. We know it's going to be the Jack Hughes show. You know, it's and they just keep getting better and better, man. They, The media, before I go, I'm going to say this, and I've said this before in my writing, but I'm new to podcasting. The fear-mongering media in this country for 20 years have been writing the story the big bad americans are coming and it's been a crock of shit it's been an absolute crock of shit have they made steps yes but the fearmonger media wants you to think oh they're taking over canada canada's not going to have much of a shot in the last 3 years i haven't heard as much of it because it's actually happening and i'm not saying it's going to happen overnight but, you know, you're seeing it at the World Juniors now. The states, I mean, they weren't a pushover the last 10 years. You know, they weren't a pushover from 04 to, or 03, I guess, is the first time I remember them, you know, in this run of consistency. From 03 to 2012, they weren't a pushover. You know, they won in 2010. But from 2013 on here, they've been pretty good. What have they, they've won two in that time, and we've won two in that time, 15 in last year. Yeah, so, oh, states are going to be tough. We know Sweden's tough. We know the Finns are going to be tough. Yeah, can't wait for Vancouver. But, anything else I got to say? It's got to wait till next week. What a way to sign off. Fuck me, I'm getting moderately average at this. Well, there's one three in a row. It's a good night. Go drink or go to work in the morning. Whatever gets you off. I'm Tyler Campbell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.